We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left in in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to give. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take your seats. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, if it were up to us to find you, uh, Lord, we would never know you. Our hearts are too inconstant. Our love for you, too weak. Our desire to know you, too easily distracted. And yet, You've given us your word, and your word is proof that you are the God who is determined to find us. And so we pray that you would speak to each of us in this room this morning. Lord, some of us come here this morning full of faith, hungry to grow. Some of us come barely hanging on to our faith by a thread. And some of us come not believing at all, wondering if any of the things that we've been singing about can possibly be true. And Lord, all of us need to hear you this morning. We need to hear the God who loves us from eternity and is seeking us and who loves us more than we could ever possibly love you. We pray that you would speak to us in a way that would change us, that would shape us, and that would give us faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Resurrection Oakland. If I haven't met you, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm so excited to continue our sermon series with you that we're calling The Way of Jesus. And in this series, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. 
And uh, we've been calling this series The Way of Jesus because Jesus gives us a completely different way to live. You see, faith in Jesus is more than just an intellectual exercise. It is a way of life that changes everything. Jesus gives us a new way to use our money. That's what we looked at last week. He gives us a new way to pursue justice. That's what we're going to be looking at next week. And he gives us a new way to think about and to pursue greatness. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And what's unique about the way of Jesus is actually not what he teaches us. What's unique about the way of Jesus is who he is. You see, the way of Jesus is not uh, something that we master. It is actually something that masters us. And that is good news for us this morning because as we think about greatness, Jesus is going to show us that true greatness is beyond all of our reach. But because Jesus is great, he is able to bring it near within our reach. Uh, Today is Super Bowl Sunday. I'm sure some of you guys have that marked off in your calendar and you've got plans later. Some of us don't, and that's okay. Uh, And in a few hours, there are going to be 53 players who are on top of the world. They feel like they're on top of the world. And that feeling is going to be an inflated sense of importance. Because they've achieved something great. They have proven that they are the greatest team in the NFL this season. But that doesn't mean that they're great people. That doesn't mean that they are worth more than others. It's a little bit inflated. There are going to be 53 people who feel like they're on the bottom of the world, which is a a, a sense of deflation that is a little too extreme. Because uh, technically, the losers of the game today are going to be the second best team in the league. Uh, the pursuit of greatness can inflate your sense of importance and deflate your sense of importance in wild ways. And some of you this morning, some of you might be feeling deflated. Maybe you come here to church this morning with broken dreams and dashed hopes. You thought your life would turn out differently, and it's not the way that you thought it would be. And you're struggling. You're struggling just to get by. The idea of greatness is the furthest thing from your mind this morning. All you want to do is to know how you're going to get through the day, get through the week, maybe get through the month. That's right. Some of you may be pushing yourself harder than you should to be great at what you care about. Uh, you, are, you are not very good at taking care of yourself, not very good at taking care of your relationships, but you sacrifice all of that to pursue a different kind of greatness. I'll never forget the time my wife uh, told me, you know, if, if, if you have no time for me and the kids like you are doing right now, maybe all the important things that you think God wants you to do, he doesn't. Happy Valentine's Day, baby. (laughs) Some of us are pushing too hard because we have this inflated sense of importance and we're not paying attention to the other important things that God has put placed in our lives. 
a lot of us, a lot of us have just settled for being ordinary. Uh, we aren't looking to do great things. We're looking for a great game to watch, a great movie, a great place to eat, a great place to visit, a great time, a great video game to play. We're deflated because greatness is beyond our reach. We're inflated because greatness is beyond our reach. We're bored because greatness is beyond our reach. And today Jesus wants to show us a greatness that is simultaneously beyond us and yet near us. And we're going to learn how by looking at three things. We're going to look at how we misunderstand greatness. We're going to look at what Jesus teaches us about greatness. And we're going to look at how Jesus makes us great. So let's start with how we misunderstand greatness. Today's passage opens with a crazy request. James and John, who are brothers and two of Jesus' disciples, and also part of Jesus' inner circle, James, John, and Peter were Jesus' closest friends. James and John, they come to Jesus and they ask him to give them the position on his right and to his left when he enters into glory. This was the ancient Near Eastern way of saying, make us your chief of staff and your prime minister. They thought that Jesus would become the king of Israel, and they knew that when they happened, they had a shot at becoming a big deal, about being important. They had a shot at greatness. And what's really interesting, I don't know if you caught this in this passage, is that Jesus actually never rebukes them. He doesn't say, what in the world are you thinking? thinking. Who do you think you are? How do you dare to ask for these things? How do you dare think that you can be a big deal, that you can be great? He doesn't do that. He actually questions their understanding of greatness. In verse 38, he says, you don't know what you're asking. He doesn't question their desire for greatness. He questions their understanding of greatness because According to the Bible, we are actually all wired for greatness, and it's right and good that we want great things. I mean, think about the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. After creating this beautiful, amazing world that we live in, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Of all the incredible things in the world, only human beings possess God's image, which means there is something inside every single person in this room that resembles God. And God gave humanity the most important job anybody could have. Take care of everything. Take care of the world. Take care of every animal, every plant, all of creation. Take care of it all for me. We were created for greatness, which is why we all want to be great at something. Maybe you want to be great at knowledge. You want to be the person that has all the answers. Or you want to be great at creativity. You want to be unique. You want to be able to, to create art that other people have not even imagined. Maybe you want to be great at your work, or great at friendship, or great at love, or great at social awareness, or great at sport. 
great at your health. The problem is not that we want greatness. The problem is that we misunderstand greatness. And James and John misunderstood the true meaning of greatness. They said in verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's kind of a crazy ask, isn't it? Give us a blank check, Jesus. Whatever we ask, before we even ask it, just say yes. They asked him before anything else. They said, promise us you will do whatever we ask. They thought that greatness was about getting what you want because that's what great people get. Great people get what you want. And there's a problem with that because it doesn't work. Several years ago, back when Tom Brady only had three Super Bowl rings, he gave an interview on 60 Minutes and at one point, Brady says this, the, the, he says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it, I'm 27, and what else is there for me? What else is there for me? There's got to be more. You get everything that you want, and it doesn't stop your wanting. Tom Brady now has seven Super Bowl rings, more than any other player in NFL history. A year ago, he retired from football only to return 40 days later. He retired again in less than two weeks, and yesterday there was an article in The Atlantic, and in it, his father says this. He says he's going to have a huge void in his life. The title of the article is Tom Brady Enters the Void. Does that sound like greatness? It sounds like emptiness, doesn't it? See, we all want to be great, but great at what? Great at what? Great at getting what you want? If that's all your life is about, getting what you want, it is going to leave you empty inside because you will never stop wanting more. More Super Bowl rings, more compliments, more progress in your career, more money, more friends, more love, more affirmation from your children, more social change, more fitness, more health, more more, more. But none of these things, of course, none of these things are bad things. They're good things, but they can't define who you are or satisfy you, and they can't make you great because true greatness is not about getting what you want. It's easy for us to read this and really judge James and John. Like, what in the world were they thinking but isn't this actually, like what they are experiencing here, isn't that what we all feel when God doesn't give us what we want? We ask God for good things. Like, God, can you please heal me of this illness? Or can you please give me a job? Or can you please help me to forgive this person who has wronged me? We ask God for good things, but sometimes they don't come. And we ask ourselves, why doesn't God give us the things that we're asking for? Is, is he not powerful enough? Is he not loving enough? 
but could it be that God actually wants to teach us that there are greater things than even the good things that we want? This leads us to the second thing that we're going to look at this morning, what Jesus teaches us about greatness. Jesus teaches us a different kind of greatness. Take a look at verses 43 through 44. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus is saying that greatness is not measured what you get from people. It's, what you, it's measured by what you give to people. Greatness is not about how people treat you. It's about how you treat people. Your greatness is actually not for you. Your greatness is for others. And this is not the way that the world works. And that's why the other ten disciples got really upset. Did you notice that in this passage? When they found out what James and John were up to, they all got upset. They found out that James and John were positioning themselves for greatness, and they thought, how dare they? Because they wanted a shot at those seats at Jesus' right and left. You see, when you think that greatness is a way to get what you want, it turns friends into competition. The pursuit of self importance, the pursuit of getting the things that you want actually doesn't build community, it destroys community. And Jesus gives us a better way. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus is saying that your greatness doesn't exist for you, it exists for others. Don't use your power to get what you want, but to help and serve others. Instead of lifting yourself up, lift others above you. And this is a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching for all of us. And it's especially hard if you are feeling powerless. What if you are already serving people all the time what if you already uh, are meeting other people's needs? What if you feel like there is no one in the world to help you with your needs? What if, what if you're unemployed? What if your community comes from a legacy of actual slavery, not metaphorical slavery, but actual slavery? What, what is Jesus saying to you? Well, first I want to all of us to hear that Jesus is saying, be slave of all. And in the, in the original New Testament Greek, it's actually in the future tense. He's saying, become slave of all, which means he is saying, you are not a slave. Become something that you are not. He is talking about a voluntary choice. He's not talking about your job. He's not talking about your condition. He's not talking about your class. He's talking about your spiritual mindset. It's the same mindset that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It's the same thing that Dr. King said when he said, keep feeling the need for being first, but I want you to be the first in love. I want you to be the first in moral excellence. I want you to be the 
first in generosity. You see, what Jesus is saying is that anybody can be great. Anybody can be great. You don't need a college degree. You don't need an impressive job. All you need is love in your heart and grace to serve others. One of the interesting things about this story is that James and John ask Jesus for the, the position on the right and left. Jesus redirects them. He questions their understanding of greatness. And then he says something interesting. He says that it is not for me but for the Father to decide who gets those positions. Well, what's Jesus doing there? You know, he, he could have said, well, no, it's not going to be you two. It's going to be those other disciples. I think Jesus is saying... The, when you get to heaven and see the people who have the places of honor at Jesus' right and left, those who are most esteemed in glory, it will be someone that you would have never imagined there. Because anybody can be great. Anybody can be great. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how impressive you are to others. Anybody can be great if they have love in their hearts and grace to serve others. The second thing I want us to consider is what would happen if everybody actually lived this way? What would happen if everyone lived as a servant and a slave to everyone else? Well, it would change the world it would eliminate all inequality. There would be no poverty. There would be no oppression. There would be no dehumanization. There would be no injustice. There would be no discrimination. There's one commentator who puts it this way. He says, Jesus defeats slavery socially by instituting it spiritually. You see, if, if you see yourself as a servant of all and a slave to all, there's no way, there's no way that you could support an institution that treats other human beings as property. See, the opposite of, the opposite of competition is not cooperation. The opposite of competition is service. It's not about treating other people as equals. It's about putting other people above you. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. He says this is what true greatness is. True greatness is not about getting what you want. It's about serving others. Six years ago, uh, the incredible civil rights lawyer, Brian Stevenson, gave a talk in New York City at Redeemer Presbyterian Church uh, together with Pastor Tim Keller. And at one point he says this, um, he says, I've been doing this work a really long time. There's never been a day when I felt like I had done something sacrificial. I feel privileged to do what I do. I feel really empowered to do what I do. I feel like it is the greatest gift God could give me to let me see redemption in places where other people only see condemnation. To see love where other people only see hate. For me, it's a great privilege. When you approach it that way, your weaknesses become your strengths, your power becomes a tool from serving others. What Stevenson is saying is that when you understand this kingdom ethic of greatness, then serving other people through suffering and through hardship 
doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It feels like a privilege. It feels like greatness. See, Jesus doesn't want to deprive us. He wants to enrich us. And the only way to live a full and rich life is to spend it in service to others. This is not easy. And I'll be the first to admit that I am no Bryven Stevenson. I'll be the first to admit that I prefer the other kind of greatness, the greatness where I have control over my life, the greatness where, where I'm able to avoid uncomfortable things, the greatness where I'm able to get the things that I want, the kind of greatness that this world longs for and admires and pursues and kills itself and kills others over. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for you? Is there any hope for any of us? This brings us to the last thing I want to look at today, how Jesus makes us great. When James and John asked to sit at Jesus' right and left, look at verse 38. Jesus asks, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And what, what does that mean? What's Jesus mean by his cup and his baptism? Well, he's talking about the cup of God's judgment that he will drink to pay for the sins of many. He's talking about the baptism that he was baptized with to identify with sinful people. He's saying, are you willing to suffer for other people the way that I have come to suffer for people? And James and John have no self-awareness. They, they listen to Jesus' question and they say, we can. And the crazy thing is that Jesus responds by saying, you will. You will. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, you think you can. You think this is a possibility. You think that, that, po that, that greatness is within your reach. You might have a shot at it. But I am here to tell you that it's going to happen. You will. You will. How could he say that? How could he be sure? Because Jesus would be the one to shape them into the kind of people who would pour their lives out for others. Jesus knew them. He knew how foolish they were, how out of touch, how, how unself-aware they were. He, he knew how they would fail. He knew all the ways that they misunderstood greatness. But he knew, more importantly, how much he loved them and how he would pursue them and work in their lives until his work was complete. And how one day they would drink the cup that Jesus drinks and be baptized with the baptism that he was baptized with. See, Jesus didn't mean that James and John would die for other people's sins the way that he would. He meant that they would suffer as they served others, and that's what happened. James uh, is put to death by Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Why? Because he refused to stop sharing the good news of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John describes himself this way. He says, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And then he hints that he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? Because he was teaching the testimony of Jesus. Jesus says, you will be. You will. You will. And this is the hope that we have. Not that we can, but that Jesus will shape our lives in a way that we will 
be different than we ever imagined that we could be? What would it look like for you to serve others, to live this way as a servant of all? Well, maybe it looks like working among the poor and powerless. Maybe it looks like volunteering. Maybe it looks like developing friendships with people who are in a different social class than your own. Or maybe it looks like taking care of young, emotional children who have no self-control because they are your children, right? <laughs> you know, you laugh, but, but we, we act as if doing great things for Jesus means doing world-changing things, but the greatest things that Jesus calls us to, the servanthood that he calls us to, are to the people who are right in front of us, right? Maybe it means looking to, to learn humbly from someone you disagree with. Maybe that's what servanthood looks like for you. Or maybe it's, it's getting close to people who, are so, who have suffered and whose suffering you don't understand. Or maybe it means absorbing criticism to protect someone else who is vulnerable. Maybe, maybe servanthood looks like helping someone who can't repay you even with a thank you. You know, God calls us to suffer in service to all sorts of people. And this is incredible because it means that any of us can be great at any moment if we only have love in our hearts and grace to serve others. How do we get there? How do we get to the place where, where we even want to get there? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 45. How did James and John get there? They got there because of verse 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is a payment that you give to liberate someone who is enslaved or imprisoned or held hostage. And Jesus is saying something about it. He's saying that the reason we are reluctant to pursue his greatness is not because we, our, our, our faith is too weak, not because we're, we lack ambition, not because we lack spirituality, but because we are enslaved and imprisoned and held hostage by our sin, our guilt, and our shame. There is something broken in us that is holding us captive, but he came to ransom us. He came to set us free, and the only payment that would work was his own life. And he did it not because he had to, but, but because he wanted to. There's a world in, of difference between those, those things. Feeling like you have to do something and feeling like you want to do something. And Jesus says he wanted to ransom you. In 1990, Robertson McQuilkin stepped down as the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary to care for his wife who had been struggling for years from Alzheimer's. His friends and colleagues urged him to reconsider. They said, she doesn't know anything. What difference is it going to make? 
It's time to put her in a nursing home and move on with your life. No one understood his choice. People didn't understand. And a healthcare professional tried to talk him out of it. She told him there were only two reasons people keep a family member with Alzheimer's at home instead of a nursing facility. He says, she said that it's either economic or it's guilt. And when McQuilkin asked, like, what about love? She said, we categorize that under guilt. <laughs> In his resignation speech, McCulkin said this. He said, it's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly. And you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She is a delight. And it's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. I don't have to. I get to. That's what love says. And Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you in all your flaws, all your sin, all your captivity to your ego, to your brokenness, to your sin, to all your doubt. And he says, I don't have to give my life as a ransom for you, but I get to because I love you. You are wonderful to me. You are a delight to me. And when you get that in your heart, when you see the greatness of Jesus' love for you, it cannot help but to change you. It will change the way that you think about greatness. It will change the way that you think about other people that Jesus loves, this world that Jesus loves, and it will inspire you to give yourself to it. And that's what this table proclaims to us. This table is a proclamation of Jesus' great redemptive love. The love that declares, I know it will cost my life to save you and to set you free. I don't have to do this, but I get to because I love you. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that because of your great love for us, you sent your only begotten Son to ransom us, that you traded his life for ours, his righteousness for our sinfulness. And through his body broken and his blood shed, Lord, we thank you that we have forgiveness, that we have acceptance that we have the assurance that you will use our imperfect service to accomplish your perfect will. And we pray, Lord, that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Lord, that you would get this great love deep into our bones, into our soul in a way that changes us and transforms us. 
and inspires us to seek the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of the cross, the greatness of service, the greatness of sacrifice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.